1: Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 27th of September 2021. I'm going to have a bit of a focus on nov wheat futures values this time around, which is relevant obviously to the feed wheat market, the milling wheat market, and all other UK markets because it's getting close to tender time and obviously we hope to be involved in that process. And I think it's a kind of backbone of a number of people's price ideas. So we'll start with the other commodities just to get them out of the way, bat them off if you like. Let's start with feed barley. The market is reasonably statically sort of steady sideways. You can make currently X Farm about 170, 71 for feed barley for pretty well immediate movement. That's a few pounds better than it was last week. I mean, the whole market's gone up with the wheat market moving up. It's now trading around about 14 pounds under the feed wheat price malting barley still very buoyant we're starting to deliver a number of our ones we were slightly more nervous about we've worked very hard at trying to determine what's good and what's bad and there is a dividing line which is very close at the moment touch wood we're having a good run we have had a couple of hiccups or queries which came out on our side if you like but we've had a number of other deliveries going in on the spring barley which are all positive at the moment so we're very pleased with that our intent is to keep moving barleys as we go subject to finding the lorries we were being glib about that a couple of weeks ago. Well, with sugar beet season starting, we are no longer glib. It is proving quite difficult to find lorries, bearing in mind all of our guys have sugar beet as their backup crop or their main winter crop. So even we're squealing a bit now. But it is an underlyingly firm market, and there's a very good export demand, you know, should we get fed up with trying to go to UK Molster. Moving on to all rape, an incredibly cautious price from us this morning on the basis of haulage, you know, haulage uncertainty. It's certainly worth 510x for February. If you were determined to sell some, I think we would be able to give you a price a few pounds better than that, depending on where you lie and the haulage, if we could get something definitely locked into it. But yeah, incredibly healthy rapeseed market still continuing. Don't see a particularly bearish period on that one at this moment, but inevitably that's the kiss of death and down she'll come. Anyway, so moving on to the pet subject, why would you own November wheat futures at £194 a tonne, which is where it is as I record this. If you look at it from a bullish perspective, why would you own it? Why would you want it? It's a good spec of a guaranteed quality. It's dry, there's none of that manky or wet stuff that some of you boys have got. It's proper good kit in the background. So that's worth knowing and worth having up your shirt. It's a guaranteed stock in a tight market. I mean, the UK is definitely tight. Export is happening at the moment. We are competitive. And as luck would have it, there's not that much demand for export. There's a bit of demand, but there's not anyone gagging to buy wheat at this point. If there were, we are the cheapest and we would be piling out the country and the market would be moving up quite aggressively. We are the cheapest wheat within a spit, I think, at this moment with other things that are going on. So it is going to be a tight market if we keep exporting it. It's going to become even tighter because we went into this harvest with nil stocks. Don't forget that period. when we were relying on the French and they didn't deliver. We were really really running out of wheat for the first time as a basic purely trader mentality it's an inflation hedge everything's going up it's a commodity it exists it costs more and more and more to grow with nitrogen prices going up a natural train of thought is let's own a commodity it will go up because everything's going up and also why else would you own futures It's physical grain, you know. Should farmer sales cease, let's just say they sell all they need to sell, all the damp stuff goes. Jan, Feb, March next year, there's lots of people trying to buy it. The natural reaction is, well, everybody wants to buy it. I'm not going to sell it. And if you've got a mill to run, at least you know you've got a supply of wheat if you own futures. So it's kind of a useful backup or guarantee that there's going to be something to keep your mill running, which is a lot cheaper than not having the mill running. Those are the reasons I can think of to own it. Other than a flat, I'm going to buy everything. But largely, why would you buy November futures? and pay money out i.e. cash flow terrible, and pay rent just to have that as some form of hedge. If you're going to use the futures as any form of inflation hedge or as something that gives you guarantee later in the season when it does become tight, why not just buy May futures? It's only a £6 carry or six fifty carry. That's cheaper than the rent. You don't have to tie your money up and you've got the product secured by owning that contract. So I don't understand why November would have that as an underlying reason to be bought. So my point being that that kind of exhausts all of the bullish arguments. And on the, the negative side, why would you not want to own November Wheat Futures? Oh, I forgot to mention on the bullish side, or good reason to own futures, you might get a trip to lovely Aylesham or Cantley. That might be a lot of people's wish list, places to visit in the world. So there are stores that will be tendered, and you could come to Norfolk and see the beauty of where we work. That would be another good reason to own them, of course. I forgot to mention that. At the current price of 194, There's no direct trade that I can see that makes you a profit. You make a loss by owning it. You know, you could buy X farm grain, £8 cheaper, which covers your haul list just about. You know, why on earth would you own something £8 more expensive? All right, the futures are going to be dry and good kilo weight and you aren't going to have any sort of strange things in there. But it doesn't make sense from a mathematical perspective on an immediate day trade to own futures now if you bought your futures 20 pounds ago and you just don't bother to work that one out and try and buy some other farm wheat instead and you think oh that'll do i'll pick up the futures and then, then fine but you could make more money by trading around your book and therefore price-wise on immediate values bearing in when export is trading at sort of delivered port around futures price there is no immediate profit in that that I can see from where the physical stores are likely to be tended. Haulage costs are increased. When the original sum was done, you probably thought, I can probably get haulage to a local consumer for 650. I'm afraid it's a different place. If you can find the haulage, which is another reason why not to necessarily own November Norfolk feed wheat in a sugar beet season, availability of haulage is going to be a very big issue as we go through this autumn. And the store location is likely to be awkward in the context of in the last couple of years, or last lots of years, there's been tenders in a place where it made mathematical sense to own them, you know, the Scottish borders where there were troubles last year, mathematically made no sense whatsoever to tender it, and yet someone kept tendering it, well now we know why, but... This year, that isn't going to be there. No one's going to be in that position where they have to tender it in a place where it makes more sense to sell it to a local consumer. So if you're going to buy futures this November, you're going to own Alsham, Cantley, and our stores, probably some Kent ones, possibly some Wessex ones, maybe a bit in Essex. But largely, can't see the Skegness ones necessarily coming in either because of Rivergo opening up. So it's going to be in an awkward place, if you don't mind me describing Norfolk as awkward, or certainly more haulage expensive. To go to wherever you want to go with it. Plus rent plus finance versus cheaper farm tonnage. Why would you buy futures if you can't, which I mentioned in the first place? But equally, why would you own November futures unless you physically need wheat? And there's plenty of available wheat around. I can't quite see why it's priced where it is at the moment. And I do see some pressure coming onto the north or at the very least, I see the spread to May going out because the ultimate, if you are just going to go long of it, The thing to buy is May, not Nov. But hey, I'm more than happy, and I'm quite certain a number of people like me will be tendering. It's just how many tonnes will come forward. So it's kind of trying to second-guess what the futures do. If the whole market keeps moving up, then fine. But I think there's more money to be made, perhaps not only Nov Futures. Just underlyingly, in the world, it is a tight year. There was minimal stocks. The yields have been less than people expected. The word is that the corn yields are allegedly not quite as high as projected. They're good, but not as high as the USDA are projecting and some of the earlier expectations. And they're getting well into the crop. They're slightly ahead of their average harvesting, and it is actually a fair cross-section of what we're expecting to come. So that might just start to disappoint, which is going to be underlyingly slightly friendly. We are around the weeks where, historically, US corn is at its lowest ebb. It's the harvesting period, lots of grain trading, people getting their cash in. So this is a point at which it does bottom out on a number of occasions in previous years, early October. The Russian price of wheat is firming, the export tariffs are biting. The French December contract on Matif is going to get squeezed like the September one did. There's a lack of milling wheat in France, as they declared, and the contract is a milling wheat contract, so anyone who's short of it technically can't actually supply the goods. So French deck wheat I see as being pushed up, whilst possibly the rest of the French market will be not necessarily moving in the same direction. So we'll have to sit and watch that one, but that's going to turn very technical and get squeezed again, I think, which is going to create a bullish sentiment in the short term and could see UK wheat getting delivered across to France. That's the point. Haulage is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. That is a very bullish point within the UK. It's a good reason to say, look, this market has a supply problem. The bearish side to the argument, because what I've just said is pretty well all is going to go up, 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 up. You also got to consider my point about the value of being 194, what you're going to do with it, you're going to make a loss. In the long run, you might make a profit, but why bother? There is a surplus of supply for the UK this side of Christmas. There is going to be more farmers wishing to sell than buyers wishing to buy. I see that because of the state of the crop and, you know, the moisture levels. You had a guy who got to a mill this morning, he thought it was 16.5 moisture, classic, 18.1. Now, of course, the mill's lying, but, you know, the last two loads previous to that was 17.3 and 17.8, and shock horror, the next load near the back of the barn was 18.1. My point being how quite people get that deluded about what their moistures are or how they can actually shout with that argument in their head, always astounds me but the reality is there's a lot of that grain that isn't just over 15 it's a lot worse than that and possibly has sweated a bit to boot so There will be issues of people beginning to realise that and want to get the stuff out of their sheds this side of Christmas on top of a big need for cash on farm. Farmers need money this year. They had a tight year last year, so there is a number of people who will be selling earlier than usual. So those things, I think, will keep in the end. I don't think the market is going to necessarily ramp up this side of Christmas unless there is a genuine, oh, the US crops failed on corn and it's going to go through the roof or something big happening. I think short term it has sideways to downward pressure through no other reason than there will be more sellers of physical wheat than buyers. However, if you have got decent storage and your grain is in good condition or you a central store owner, I'll plug that one again, you can sit and wait and I think the tactic for wheat at the moment as I see it is it's going to go up post Christmas. In between now and then I think it's going to come down or sideways at best. So with that very happy uh, thought you're going to listen to a very grumpy farm chat with me and the boys where quite honestly I'm I'm aware that I ranted on two or three occasions and it's probably the grumpiest one we've done to boot. So I'm looking forward as one of our listeners wrote in and said it's great to hear a guest on there again and have some different ideas. The reality of us in recent weeks has been the amount of time spent glued to our chairs trying to deal with problems that other people have in a sense i am really looking forward i'm determined to find a guest for next week and get out there and listen to someone else's voice other than our lot Anyway, with that you'll have to endure this week's cheers thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours
0: If ever there was a time to own central grain store tonnage, it's now. Yeah Grain at Cantley takes the worries and stresses of grain drying and storage away. Members of the store can harvest without delay and can bring their produce in the day it comes off the combine, all with discounted drying and servicing charges. Call 01493 700 447 or 01263 731 for details. Yeah Grain providing the grain handling you need. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728 978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk.
1: Right, back to the in-house crew this week. I've got with me Ben, who's got to press on and do something else in a minute or two. Hello, Ben. I've got Joe. Hello. And we'll have Webby in a minute when he's woken up from his afternoon nap. We're going to start with a reflection on strategic government in the UK. Ben, you've got something you'd like to say, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think this last week we have seen a major conglomerate holding the UK to ransom for supply of CO2. And, you know, let's be blunt here – they've had a massive win. They've been given three weeks operating costs by us, the taxpayer, in order to keep the CO2 supplies going. And if a major multinational can do that in that industry, what's to stop that happening in other sectors?
1: Well, luckily, they're a big American company when we have a special relationship with them. So we don't mind them actually taking all of their tax and keeping it in that country, which is what American companies do, isn't it?
2: Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to name names. And it's a bit like the Robert Harris Fear Index, this. For any of those who have read that book.
1: No, we can't read. I mean, the other thing to consider is the other supplier of gas, I believe, is Russian. So that's lucky, isn't it?
2: I don't know about that on the CO2 side, but <laughs> look, it's just a bit, you know, it's just a kind of a bit of a wait. Is it a wake-up call? It's about, yeah, strategic government. What does the government want the UK to be? Does well, it want to be open and trade with everyone? Well, we've done that. And actually, they've turned around and gone, no.
1: Has thatcherism ultimately failed? It's a bit heavy
2: in a crude word yes it probably has yeah. yeah
1: because in the end if you allow people to create we're going to make it cheaper we're going to outsource everything to another country and we're going to pay the chief executive three million pounds a year for doing three parts of bugger all great someone makes a profit oh it's all gone wrong we'll go broke now he's already got his cash hasn't he thank yeah. you very much gone broke and uh, supply oh don't worry about that Someone else will pick the tab up, and the price would be a lot more money to the consumer. But strategic issues like you know CO two, who'd have thought it had such an impact on food? So let's bring up the subject of food itself. Who is in control of food in the UK? Oof.
2: yeah. Well, who's in control of the majority of food supply in the UK?
1: Well, I don't know. There must be some people who've got a two, fairly two good big idea. companies. Yeah. Which country do they come from?
2: I mean, America
1: and America and <laughs> oh anyway so that's great i think you farmers should really think heavily about that also there's a lot of export going on apparently at the moment there's a company bidding into ipswich yes where do they come from
2: why am i being set up uh, here? china they come from china and china China
1: okay so I was to say that it doesn't make commercial sense to buy wheat at the moment and they think right you know what we need wheat we're going to pile into it we're going to buy as much of it as we can from wherever we can pay a bit more than we should do just get it out get it yeah, out, get yeah, it out. Okay. who gives a damn the UK runs out of feed wheat nobody yeah. strategically Who's strategically could say hang on a minute it's exporting like crazy there's only fourteen and a half million a million tons that's been grown and we need about that much um hang on, do you think we ought to uh, stop some of these exports? Could the government stop exports of wheat?
2: Well, I think, because don't forget, that data you're referring to, the export data, comes out, I think, two, three weeks later after the event. So after the event, it would be too late when the government go, hang on a minute, there's an awful lot of wheat been exported from lots of ports. Where's that all gone?
1: i perhaps say, you know, get people to ramp up (laughs) production in February or something.
2: I mean, yeah, you know, you could go back to the great grain robbery in the US, couldn't you?
1: But that's the dynamic, isn't it? That is the point. If somebody decided to squeeze every European country for all the spare grain that they had because they knew actually the figures they were presenting to the world were wrong and they wanted to undermine that country or they wanted to make sure they were struggling for food or destabilise the government, that's a tactic that's the best one to use. Let's make them run out of food. Who in this government can even see that coming? They're probably thinking, oh, no, we can import it cheaper from Australia. Earlier, yeah. that's what we'll do
2: oh hang on a minute who controls all the import terminals and yeah
1: and australia don't feel like dealing with us today actually they've just done an even cheaper deal on a nuclear sub with the french who we've also pissed off
2: we don't <laughs> want to disappear down a <laughs> rabbit hole but no. i think it's quite a major point isn't it
1: yeah strategic planning anyway we've been monopolized with ian's now in the room so say hello ian hello it's very concise anyway broadening it out pushing it out there boys any comment on this joe
3: don't know, I mean, it's pretty scary, but are we just in a position where we're more aware of information that's suddenly come to light? I mean, I would a bit naive about it. I think it's just more obvious to us, transparency of where things are and where they're going. And I think for many years... We were probably blindly happy to be sort of trundling along and not really aware of who was in control or everything
1: so long as there's competition so long as there's an abundance of everything it's fine but the bigger issue is gas isn't it gas has gone up sixfold from the lowest point and we're at the end of a line of a gas pipe that's going through europe that is short of gas and we've had brexit Are they genuinely going to say, all right, we'll let a bit more go that way? You know, let's get real. Also bear in mind that this whole lorry driver thing, the whole food on, on the supermarket shelves, all of it is nothing to do with Brexit as far as the Brexiteers are concerned. They're all very keen to make that point. I'm sorry, at some point in time, you're going to say, well, a little bit of it might be something to do with the fact that we stopped all of the foreign workers being here. There's no doubt. It's definitely part of the jigsaw, and it's quite a
3: big part of the jigsaw.
1: Well, you can come into Europe with a visa if you're a ballerina. I listened to the Farmer's Weekly podcast. And he said, if you're a florist or a ballerina, you can get in. But a lorry driver? No, you can't. No, you're not skilled. And, you know, cabbage pickers, whatever. It is seriously mindless, the dynamic of what we've got. It's obvious. And, you know, was it Pretty Patel who said, oh, yes, well, we can get people to fill the jobs from the UK. There's plenty of job vacancies. I'm sorry. There's lots and lots of people who simply are not prepared to go and cut cabbages. 99.9% of the UK unemployed are not prepared to go out there and do that. On a daily basis, they're deluded. It's absolute madness. Nothing to do with Brexit, though. God, I'm bitter, aren't I? <laughs> anyway, Ian, you do some speaking. I mean, you say there's a lot of people who
4: are not prepared to do certain things. I kind of agree with that. But also, it does feel like there's a massive shortage of labour generally. You know, it doesn't just feel like it's those interested. You know, I spoke to a friend in the village and he's in recruitment and he said, wow, it's as tight as anything. Every
3: single job, pretty nutty. I think people are more minded to look at other jobs at the moment especially sort of certain skilled jobs that, or unskilled jobs or whatever you want to put it but I mean you've got quite happily an Eastern European who has got their head around they're going to do that job they know there's a gap in the market and they're going to come over here and they'll hit it hard and they'll go home again and they'll take that money and they'll benefit they can see that there's a massive reward now some people in the UK they probably look at some of these jobs and they don't see the opportunity the benefit from doing this job and then taking the money their money isn't going to be worth more they're going to you know it's not much it more ground.
1: than the, than possibly being in a I don't know what the current universal credit world is but there's a whole lot of weighing up whether it's worth my while and there was a lot of fuss about you know anyone who was on a minimum wage the extra 20 quid they were getting has been taken away and it's going to take them nine hours worth of work to pay that money back you know there is obviously a lot of people being paid very very minimal wages out there and they're probably lots of them are just stuck and dead move but there is definitely a bucket load of jobs driving lorries that are not being filled and there's a whole lot of capable people earning a lot less money than they could if only someone woke them up and said well off you go and apparently all you've got to do now as I said last week with Tim Porter is drive the lorry around the circle three times and go forward 10 yards and you get a ticket saying you can drive it yeah yeah, yeah
3: true the thing is that there are people that you know their skills and stuff they're not got their head round. they've got so used to doing certain things they're not willing to actually spend that time doing that type of job because why do they bother sort of thing. Their mindset is not to go out and do that, that sort of graft, as it were. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. They're looking around the place. So what do we
1: do? Change education say, look, you know, the good thing you do is work really hard and you get paid lots of money. Make sure you pay lots of money for the jobs. I mean, cutting cabbages, I wouldn't want to do that. If someone said, here's, you know, I don't know, 50 grand a year to go cut cabbages, I wouldn't do it. Freezing cold, miserable, bend your back—it's awful thing to do. Yeah. Horrible. But that
3: fifty grand that they could get, let's say, not the kind of they can't—they only about twenty-five yeah, equivalent. But the thing is, those guys then suddenly go back home, and that's worth fifty yeah. grand to them. That's the benefit isn't they do—they can't they do, do it here.
1: But the people in this country, but I don't blame anyone for not doing it. It's a rubbish job. Yeah. The price of cabbages is not high enough. Yeah. That's a fact. The underlying reality is food prices are about to go up, aren't they?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Inflation is there. It's literally on the precipice of, well, the opposite way. It's about to ramp up in a big way because everyone is now looking around. All right, the pandemic has made people really seriously reevaluate the way they live their lives. And suddenly there was an opportunity where people sat there at home and they actually thought, you know, I can do this, or I can do that. And it's changed. There are opportunities, but...
4: But It's just a bit spooky. It's trying to right all the wrongs very quickly in the space of six months. I don't think there'll be a kind of cooling-off period. I think it's the rebalancing that's occurring at the moment. Yeah, okay, so... Yeah, I concur. Yeah, I mean, building materials, for example. I mean,
1: they're (laughs) spooky, some of them, what they've gone up. I mean, it's maybe it's opportunism, but I'm not
4: convinced.
1: As an example, central storage we've been running on about, you know, people building stores... Right now, the whole maths of that have gone completely AWOL, haven't they? You know, to actually build a grain store now is going to cost you £300 a tonne. Yeah, that's mega. That's huge. Yeah, and that's still not going to be all singing and all dancing. And it's like, oh, it won't cost as much. I can do it a bit cheaper. I can do this. No, you can't. Absolutely no, you can't. Concrete, steel, and a real... I can handle a 19 to 24% moisture harvest type facility, which is what we've just experienced. That It's very clear not many of those exist. I wouldn't be shocked if it's 350 plus actually, really. It's enormous. I would
3: love to find out, you know, what, People are actually spending on obviously there's some people have obviously invested in some decent bit of kit you know some great stores yeah. etc yeah. however if you go back to those people that are spending that had their store 10 years ago how much extra per year honestly hand on that they're actually spending per year on
1: that no they're not spending anything on it they're sweeping it out they're making sure it doesn't leak and they're possibly depending on how much their drying facility you know how much maintenance does that have i'm aware of a drying floor that the stirers started going up up and down there's a bit of metal sticking up or one of the stirruers dropped a bit too low and it mangled the whole thing up. It was a complete nightmare. You know, right at the moment you need to use it. Probably it was a maintenance issue, who knows. But the point is, there's been some very difficult moments for lots of people with grain this year, and it's very clear. The facilities to do anything with that stuff is still coming towards us because we've got dryers. We've still got it coming at us, and people shamelessly delivering some quite disgusting things under the guise of, oh, well, I'm a store member. You know, you delivered four times what you should have done. Yeah, good on you. There's a point at which you just... Farmers think that we bash them for this. And this is once every seven years. So the next three, four years will probably be dry harvest and we'll all forget about it again. But boy, oh boy, this has been a big awakening, hasn't it? Yeah. I mentioned HGVs a minute two ago. I've got to tell you this. There was something Tess said to me last night about Norfolk police have covered themselves in glory this last few days. Because during September, bearing in mind there is a shortage of lorry drivers and there is a shortage of HGV drivers, guess what the Norfolk police are bragging about as being one of their most successful campaigns? during September, targeting HGV drivers. They've hired a unmarked lorry and seen massive advantages in driving along and seeing how many offences they can get lorry drivers for. And it's totally grown up, and I'm totally sure that that's a really good thing for everybody not crashing and all the rest of it. There aren't a very large number of HGV crashes in this county, but the police have decided to focus their efforts during September on catching as many lorry drivers as they can. When the world's trying to recruit them and encourage people to be there, someone in the police PR department or brain cell department must have thought, hang on a minute, this might just be against public... Let's ignore County Line's drugs. Let's ignore real things where someone might hurt us. Let's drop the, uh, oh, I've just arrested a burglar, but I'm going to let him off because just is someone going 36 and a 30 limit. I better go and get him instead. Much easier. That's a bit harsh. But two and two making four for some idiot. Just, oh. Look it up on the internet. It's quite funny, really, if you think of it that way.
4: Where does the lorry crisis kind of end i mean it's not a lot of fun is it getting lorries and you're kind of
1: we're pulling the odd
4: out of hats and kind of getting wagons but you're two to three weeks i mean it feels like it's going to implode
1: somewhere something's got to give i think we will find lorry drivers again it's just the dynamic of the haulage rates who's prepared to accept the difference we priced stuff two or three years back and we're now dealing with haulage rates we expected to be paying which are completely wrong the margin's gone out of the deal
3: is this now a point in time where people are going to really seriously reevaluate train and things, you know, rail? How viable is it to do that? I mean, at the moment, obviously, where we are and the real nature of where we are, and we've not got rail lines all over the place, but is it possible to sort of rethink, is this now, a, you know, one of those catalysts? Well, we
1: are located at Aylesham North. <laughs> <laughs> I take a bit of reopening that yeah, one no, no. I mean in my youth we used to load polybulkers down at Roxham Station it only fell down a few years ago the loading place we had but we used to tip lorries onto a polybulker 58 tonnes at a time that used to sail up to Leith to deliver milling wheat so yeah I mean it's, in my lifetime it's been prominent and gone I can't see it coming back no I can't you... but
3: mean, there is an argument sometimes that rail is more environmentally friendly
1: maybe you've got to haul it to I know
3: the... you've got to still get it there short haul Yeah, but then it It has to
1: go to London to come back out again or something, doesn't it? I think the biggest draw to commodities this year is going to be into the Midlands. You know, Vivergo built a factory for production of ethanol. Did they put a rail siding in there? They'd buy a port, but I don't think there's a rail siding in there. I doubt it. So I don't think we're geared for it. I don't think that's the answer. I think that we will see more lorry drivers and there'll be much bigger wages paid. British Sugar, now that we've seen fertiliser prices go up to 400 and something pound a tonne, have at the same moment agreed with the farmers that we'll pay a bit more for sugar, peat which they've been fighting, saying we're not paying any more, we're not paying any more. Now, in my view, the farmer should now turn around and say, no, that was when the price of fertiliser we expecting to be this, now it's gone up. You've cynically come in and kind of addressed the issue and pretended you're a good guy. No, the price is higher now because the cost of producing it has just gone up and you know it. And word has it, they're going to be dragging a whole load of beet now. Instead of going to Cantley, which is, you know, climate-friendly, only just down the road from lots of people, they're only having a small percentage going into Cantley, which they've got a certain amount of gas they can use without paying extra, and they're going to drag the rest down to Barry St Edmunds. Well, that's going to screw even more haulage up, isn't it? And ruin the planet when we're having a COP26.
4: I did hear somewhere recently that there was a suggestion that people were going to lobby for a higher weight limit to get, let's say, another three tons i know it doesn't sound like a lot doesn't sound that helpful but it's another 10 percent on a wagon that'd be it? great
1: it'd be good yeah and what would frontier do with there we don't pay above a certain rate on the lorries then they don't get that free haulage anymore yeah. would they i think it would help yes
4: marginal but yeah we'll all cumulatively get there will that be unsafe i don't know i've asked if he drives this and they've said actually the way that modern kit is now you should be able to handle it
1: should we buy a lorry
3: things Europeans I can't remember what the European weight is thought they were able to carry a larger weight than us
1: I don't I, know I, I don't thought know. they
4: were yeah I'll be in a bit of trouble because I've only just worked out my uh, sort of like multiples of 29 so if I've got to go to 33s so I'll be uh, a bit stuck I think well, that'd
1: make it easier to collect futures warrants will not it three lorry loads will do yeah. the job That's nearest for, damn it 98 <laughs> <laughs> if, only <that> wasn't. <laughs> if only that wasn't true that you, that. <laughs> you know harvest is still occurring here we're still fraught we're rammed full we can't get lorries to move stuff out and last week we were bragging about how wonderful it had all been so or two weeks ago so i'm feeling bad about that because all of a sudden the sugar beet season's come along and now we are going to struggle and you know we've had a lot of angry farmers if you like wanting to put seed orders into we're saying mm-hmm. we don't want to do it because we can't promise to do what they're expecting obviously harvest was late seed josh predicted this to be fair yeah, yeah. you ain't gonna get it seeds desperate i mean it's everything all combined it's kind of a four-week
4: harvest it was a
1: crop that just, needs just to be you dried wait, just you wait yeah. till there's rain in the forecast yeah. just you wait until it says on the 14th of october there's well, going to there be is. a monsoon ne- next It's going to be a bad one apparently well then once it's happened the heavy land won't get anywhere near and if they haven't got the seed they need to get any old seed out the shed and shove it on as far as i'm concerned because well, i it's... think there's quite a lot that's happening yeah well that's frightening isn't it yeah we will nice have here. a probably bigger wheat crop this coming autumn because it has been or is looking open for the first few days of october isn't it
4: yeah i think you're right a big wheat crop but i think on the back of this i think there'll be a big pulse crop probably mm-hmm. lower the nitrogen requirement that's another thing and probably even spring barley
1: yeah well everybody's had a great time with spring barley this year it yielded brilliantly the nitrogen's were really good just the tail end stuff was a bit half dead wasn't it mm. but, but yeah no
4: i mean that's going to dominate i mean the nitrogen prices from what i gather someone said to me it's nitrogen's around 480 pound a tonne I mean that's pretty
1: shockingly huge should we go long are we allowed to buy it? We'd probably be accused of being terrorists and want to bomb things, which in this mood I probably would. Anyway, I think I've been grumpy enough. I think we need a beer, actually. I think it's a Thursday afternoon recording as opposed to a morning one, so we kind of passed five o'clock. We could, can not we? <laughs> That's a good idea. Let's, I don't know let's, what we've got left to drink. What are we on now? Uh, there's plenty. There's loads. I'll get one. OK, so what we've got is some of the beer that Matt Dewars bought us that I didn't read my email to find out that was him who sent it. So it's Calvers Diversion IPA, a bold, hoppy and balanced beer with a 5.8 on the Richter scale. Knock
3: your bloody head off.
1: Only little cans, thankfully, and it's the end of the day, so we'll trade calmly as usual. But this is, yeah, good-looking can. So, Webby, poor poured go Gone? first impressions. That's right, tastes like beer.
3: That's all right for a five point eight. That's actually tastes like so. so first mouthful. I always. don't know how you
4: both can drink out of can. I can only drink a soft drink out of can. Uh, I can't I drink a beer can't
3: out of a can. Drink out of a can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not right. you I've got to have a beer out of a pint glass. I agree, but if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, it's the end of the day, and you know, tidying up the glasses is enough detritus around the desk. It's all right to have a little can, and it? it's been in the fridge as well. It's quite nice, is. That's yeah, all right. I don't think yeah. you'd need too many of them, Matt. You're a very good man. Thank you for sending the beers. Brewers of Elmswell—the place to go if you're from Suffolk and in trouble. That's the sort of advert you get if you send doing grain some beers. It doesn't cost much. A little bit of goodwill—we love it. Ah, oh, it's not a bad beer. To whereabouts?
4: Yeah, just say I would say it's brewed by a farmer. I forget local farmer brewery in Suffolk somewhere. That's no, right. That's I've good. got a random one So uh, this is Talk about Role reversals Within a family So I've got to go shortly Because uh, my missus Is going to a rugby club dinner I'm doing the baby Is this Wyndham? Yeah Yeah Wyndham's
1: very popular With lots of mm. Professional types it is, Isn't it? They yeah. right. get dressed up a lot You know That You're a bit of competition Webby. Well I've all got those, a competition All those handsome blokes there She's going to look and my go dad, oh, What did I do? That's good. I'm very glad. He's very modern of you. We're all, we're all like that, really. We all pretend that we're macho, but we're not. We're henpecked and, you know, whipped. And, uh, yeah, it's good for you. Nice to meet your daughter again after three months of being here. <laughs> now, well, if I get back at five to seven,
4: Mrs. would have put it to bed, it'd be fine.
3: Just out of interest, do you know who's speaking? Dylan Hartley. Really?
4: Yeah, Dylan Hartley,
3: yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, that'd
4: be right. I spoke to someone the other day that went to a dinner and the hooker, what's his name, the World Cup-winning hooker, no, Tomo, Brian, more Tomo,
3: Brian. Tomo. What? Tomo, Tomo, Thompson. Yeah,
4: he, yeah. And uh, he went to a speech and apparently it's was very, very moving because of all of his early well, onset
3: he, dementia. and all not, those but yeah, those. yeah, but also he gave up rugby because of a serious neck mm. injury, but was so determined to get back. He spent a serious amount of time off and then I think he went to France for a period and then he came back into it. And then he decided to get back into rugby again. Mm. But then he still bugging up his neck again. But I
4: think he sort of resents rugby because of everything and how it is. And he kind of, apparently in his speech, he said he wished he'd never, ever picked up a rugby ball. But at the same time, he's got so many things to be grateful for because of his whole, you know... Where it got him and what it did to him and him I, as a person. Yeah,
3: I think that's the bizarre. I don't know. He's obviously thought. I
1: still, I think that obviously from a health side of things, he was obviously an old. he time. wouldn't be there speaking if it wasn't for rugby, would he? With the benefit of hindsight, you know, get to be an old codger. There's something wrong with your body somewhere. In my case, my knees are shagged. You know, There's football and rugby and whatever has done the damage and running. Mm. You know, would I swap being able to walk a bit freer now for all of the games that I won and lost and enjoyed and, you know, and got all of that energy out? Mm. No way. I mean, but then mine isn't as serious a condition mm. as his, is it? Yeah it is a difficult one and easy to make those comments but picked for your country to play in a oh yeah it's a huge accolade isn't it it's enormous yeah it's really sad more importantly now with rugby is the realization of the number of people that are having various motor neuron disease type diseases and dementia and all of those other yeah yeah you know is it going to stop the game being played eventually as we get more and more yeah it'll be really sad I,
4: i think the game will just be a bit different it won't stop getting played
3: well, they've already tried, they're already initiating as a sort of a soft rule, as it were, to try and introduce no more than sort of 15 minutes of full contact in a week, apart from your game.
4: like oh, 15 minute intervals in a game of rugby. That'd be perfect for me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Rugby League already was doing... They already had minimised the amount of contact they did because they believed that why knock ten bells out of your teammates all week and just practice on your technique and yeah. then when it gets to the weekend then you can do it. But some of the changes clearly are the right things in trying to avoid contact and stuff with your head. But I'm, I'm sort of torn really because I think there are so many other sports as well. And then you could say, well, you know, you get to a certain age and then say, well, I wish I'd done that or I wish I'd done this. It's you true. could spend yeah, your yeah. life yeah. doing. It at end of the day, I mean, I'm not saying stick your head in the wrong place yeah. and get damage. It's going to have. Long term oh, problems so, yeah. with you anyway.
4: Talking about your rugby days, you missed the showers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Talking about your private school days, do you miss the showers? <laughs> <laughs> All in the memory bank now. <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, you know it's in a very important all joker side but it's a very one of the most important things I think of sport is the changing room banter kind of
1: the stories the the funny stuff I've had I mean the thing you um, miss the most is that yeah, totally as a non-player now yeah the bit where someone walks in the room and you ripped them to pieces last week and they walk in and you think no i'm not gonna be that cruel this week and then somebody says something and then out of your mouth comes the yeah. next one and it goes back to square one and you're, you're rolling around laughing again it's
4: just funny it's a no holds barred attitude but it's really healthy and it's, great. Oh, it's a bit like this office i suppose in a lot of respects it's a changing room banter type environment which is merciless
1: but yeah good it's healthy and it's not bit- very woke I mean, I get constant criticism about how we're just, like Benny Hill's office in the 1970s and we say things that are totally inappropriate. However, everybody knows precisely what everyone means by certain things. And there is a general line of humour which is totally unacceptable by certain types. But for us, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a happy little yeah. team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is being that's stretched probably... a bit at the moment. And we're all fed up and we want to have our end of harvest due <laughs> and say that's all over. But harvest is still happening. <laughs> I think we're more likely to Christmas do before the end of
4: harvest due at the moment. <laughs> yeah how it feels <laughs> at the moment.
1: Yeah, anyway, with that, you've got to go and look after your daughter and Joe's going to go and pick up his son. So with that, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thanks,
0: thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.